Welcome to Brief Encounters. I am Jill Morrison. I am a member of the international law community at the DC Bar. I am here today with Diane West Tierney, who is the Drinan Chair in Human Rights at Georgetown University Law Center. How are you, Diane? I'm great. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for taking this time to chat with me. So your focus over the course of the year at Georgetown Law is on the death penalty as a human rights issue. Can you tell me how you began your work on the death penalty? Sure. You know, my opposition to the death penalty was really forged at an early age, and it was grounded in my faith and my understanding about what it means to be a human being. You know, later I learned more about the death penalty, and from my learning, that kind of bolstered my faith belief that the death penalty was wrong. But as I learned how corrupt and unfair the death penalty has been, it gave me a, a new vigor for, for working against it. And then in my later sort of scholarship around the death penalty, I've come to see its place in the maintaining the American caste system. And so that, again, has made me even more opposed to the death penalty and more clear that it has to end. You know, one of my most vivid memories as a child was watching a movie called King of Kings with my maternal grandmother. And for those who are unfamiliar, King of Kings is a movie that was shown usually around Easter time. It was talking about the last days of Jesus leading up to his execution by crucifixion. And I used to watch that movie with my grandmother, and I've only seen my grandmother cry on two occasions. One was watching that movie, particularly during the trial scene. And the second was when she was watching the funeral procession of President John F. Kennedy. But I remember watching with my grandmother and being so moved by her tears, but also I remember being so angry at the trial scene where there was nobody speaking up for this Jesus in the movie. And there was this person was not even speaking up for himself. And so I'm certain that's where the seeds of my desire to be a lawyer and and speak for people who either were unable to or unwilling to defend themselves. So really go back that long. And then as I worked for the American Civil Liberties Union, and again, I learned the facts about the death penalty, uh, that's really the root of my opposition to it. Great. Um, So when some people think of the death penalty, they really think of it as primarily a criminal justice issue. But at Georgetown, you are placed as the human rights chair to start our students thinking about the death penalty as a human rights issue as opposed to a, a criminal justice issue. Can you tell me a bit about kind of the differences in the approach to the death penalty from these two different perspectives, one being human rights and the other being criminal justice? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I have to say my time at Georgetown has really been a gift. It's been sort of a harmonic convergence of all these things, these values that I have learned and, and what I've learned about the death penalty. And in fact, my first conference that I attended about the death penalty was actually at Georgetown not the law center, but the main campus. Um, It was an Amnesty International conference, which for the first time was Amnesty International USA taking a position against the death penalty for for internal policy reasons. They had never done that before. And so in many ways, I feel as though I came full circle. So when you talk about the death penalty and its relationship to human rights, that really is where that understanding about the disconnect between how the death penalty is used and what it accomplishes comes in. At the end of the day, what we see with regard to the death penalty is that it's used overwhelmingly when the victim is white. 
uh, and not when victims are, are African-American or people of color. And then when you understand the historical context, you see that that is the same pattern that we saw coming out of the slave code, Jim Crow, and even this close connection between lynching. And so what we understand is the death penalty is not about crime control or public safety. It's about people control and really reinforcing a caste system that places a different value on the lives of people based on the color and shade of their skin. And then when you add to that the fact that there's actually no empirical evidence that the death penalty has an impact on crime, that's how you begin to see that when we're talking about the death penalty, we're not talking about a public safety idea. We're really talking about an idea that's about putting in brutal terms a system that says some lives are worth more than others. Thank you. So can you tell me a bit, you had said your time at Georgetown had been a gift. So can you tell me a bit about your, uh, your work over the course of your years, the drawing in chair, your interactions with students, what some of your projects have been over the course of the year? What I had hoped to do at uh, Georgetown was to bring the lessons learned from what has been a multifaceted struggle against the death penalty to a new understanding or an expanded vision of what it means to be a human rights advocate. The death penalty struggle has been comprised of a, a number of important things, public policy advocacy, public education, strategic communications and litigation. And the question that I wanted to bring to Georgetown and examine with the students was, could we apply some of these lessons, including the, the lessons of things we learned not to do, to a human rights struggle? The other piece that I think that I wanted to bring to this is an understanding of the, what you know, has become sort of the term of the day, the intersectionality of all of these issues. If you understand that the death penalty is not about human rights and that it's about keeping a particular social system in place, you understand that you have to look at things like gender issues. You have to look at things like poverty. You have to look at things like access to housing and mental health services. And so, again, looking at what kind of new campaigns can we build when we are no longer siloed? And I think as you look at where we are today and the struggle for our democracy, you see how these things are interconnected. What I found at Georgetown and what I gained, I hope as much as I gave, was that law students have a great passion for these issues. And it actually was a wonderful experience for me to see these students who had these fresh eyes looking at these issues and so much energy because it's so easy to get jaded, to get discouraged. And so I found that they gave me a new fire in the belly for these issues as well. What I also wanted to create for the students was a community of belonging for students who want to work on these issues, because it's very easy to feel isolated and even wrong for wanting to do this work. But there's so many other, oftentimes more lucrative things that you could be doing. So my time at Georgetown really has been really sort of transformative in terms of reinforcing the importance of this work and also adding a value to the work that has been done so far by being able to pass it on. Wonderful. Yes, I, I agree completely. The, the energy that you get from the students for working on issues that seem kind of hopeless sometimes really is what, what keeps us all going. I want to ask your thoughts about the, the death penalty as an international issue. And the death penalty has fallen out of favor in many countries. And in terms of developed nations, the United States is probably one of the last nations where we have states that still impose the death penalty. 
Why do you think that is? What is it about, about our, our nation that won't move away from the death penalty? Sure. You know, coming back to that conference at Georgetown that was sponsored by Amnesty, one of the people there who was an honored guest was the former French justice minister, Robert Battendale. He had been the minister of justice from 1981 to 1986. And this question was actually posed to him because at the time that the death penalty was ended in France in 1981, I would not say, I don't believe a majority of French citizens opposed the death penalty. So this question was posed to him. So one of the reasons I believe, one of the key reasons I believe that there's a difference here is there's a difference in the quality of leadership on this issue. And the reason that there's a difference in the quality of leadership on this issue, I think, goes back to, in many ways, our unique history and the way in which crime and race and, again, caste sort of worked together. And so I feel as though many leaders don't feel that they can or should or want to tell the truth about the death penalty. Because when you tell the truth about the death penalty, you see that it doesn't work. You see that it reinforces something that most of us don't want to reinforce. And we, you see that there are other better ways of keeping the community safe. So I feel that a lot of it really goes back to leadership and the willingness of leaders to tell the truth and to actually solve problems. And so to the extent that the death penalty has been used as a proxy for you know, racial signaling, as a proxy for engendering fear in certain communities, that's been the difference. I, I think that's changing. I think that's why we're seeing a majority of the states reject the death penalty, either in policy and law or in practice particularly as we're getting new leaders who are problem solvers, who are looking at, okay, how do we really keep our community safe? So I think the, the basic would boil down to leadership. So you had, you had mentioned both class and caste as being kind of one of the reinforcing mechanisms that keeps the death penalty in place. Can you talk a bit about that? Sure. You know, one of the most transformative um, readings that I did during the pandemic was the book Cast. The Origins of Our Discontent by Isabel Wilkerson. And she lays out very persuasively the connection between so much that we take for granted in our society and this, this notion of the importance of this rigid system that really ranks people according to race and keeps people in their place according to race. And she makes a direct connection between the death penalty and this system and the fact that the laws that we have had and many of those sort of social norms that we've had, how they reinforce that and how the death penalty does that. I, I, I've often said, you know, I used to think that the death penalty was a bad thing that used to, that needed to end. And it's not really that. The death penalty is working exactly as it was intended. It was intended to send a signal about whose life is worth more than others. And there's a reason why virtually any or many transgressions committed by a slave or a person of color during the, the time of the slave code were punishable by death and the same crimes were not punishable by death and were granted much leniency when committed by a white person. And so that historical understanding of the death penalty and sort of stepping back and taking a bigger look at our society and where we need to go to address the inequality is what has changed my perspective. So when I look at kind of Amnesty's list of the countries with confirmed executions, the, the thing that stands out to me is that these are not countries that we as kind of United States and our in our ideas around American exceptionalism we would think of as being democratic, right? So thinking of the death penalty as undemocratic 
I think really shines a light on how much of a human rights violation it is, especially when you think about the inequities and how it's actually imposed. Are there strategies around kind of doing that shaming when you see what lists we're on, right? We're on lists with China and Saudi Arabia and Iran and Iraq um, and Pakistan in terms of the numbers of confirmed executions. Does that have any impact on kind of on changing public opinion about the death penalty when you see who we're, who we're grouped with and kind of turning Americans' ideas on their head about what we are as a nation? Yeah, well, I think you've really put your finger on something there. You know, I have always thought that an important part of the conversation about the death penalty was the inconsistency of the death penalty with a democracy and certainly a multicultural, multiracial diverse democracy, because you do see that, particularly in countries that still use the death penalty, or where countries still use the death penalty, there is always the racial, ethnic, or religious minority that is disproportionately subject to the punishment. So that's a really important piece. And I also think that, particularly now, when more people are starting to understand that we are really in a global struggle for democracy between forces that want to have autocracies and dictatorships uh, be the norm. And that's very much a part of the struggle that we're here today. So I think there's some opportunities now to talk about why the death penalty is inconsistent. You can't be a multiracial democracy and have the punishment administered, the most severe punishment administered in the way that it is today. And it is not an accident that, you know, in our own specific struggle for autocracy as former President Donald Trump was in the midst of staging a multi-tiered, violent political coup that in from January until the last five days until inauguration, he carried out 13 executions. And part of that is an assertion of the absolute power of government. And so going back to sort of my personal, moral, spiritual views about the death penalty, There is something sacred about human beings that says you can hold human beings accountable, but there's certain things that the government can't do. And so when you see countries that are using the death penalty, when you see people who aspire to be autocrats and dictators, the death penalty is their go-to move. You have to govern by fear. You have to govern by absolute power. And so I do think there's room for an additional conversation about why the death penalty is inconsistent with the democracy. You know, there's a reason why One of the first things that was done when South Africa got rid of the uh, apartheid system was that that their constitution prohibits the death penalty. That is the hallmark, not having the death penalty, not having an unlimited amount of power of the government over its citizens and the ability to choose who lives and who dies. That is an essential part of democracy. So I think you, you really touched on something that's really important and something that I think particularly now we need to keep moving forward. Wow. Thank you. What else would you want our audience to know about the death penalty? If this is something that they've been engaging with or if people have been on the fence about it, what's the takeaway for us today? Well, I think that despite the fact that we've made significant progress, that you know there's only a handful of jurisdictions that are still executing people and public opinion has changed significantly since I first started working on this issue, you know, support for the death penalty is dramatically down. Opposition to the death penalty is up. 
I think people need to understand the struggle isn't over. We have continued travesties in the uh, use of the death penalty. One of the first people that I met at that conference that I mentioned earlier at Georgetown was a couple whose son was on death row because he had tragically murdered his roommates and friends. But he was suffering from a serious psychotic episode, and he had well-documented mental illness, and his parents had you know, up until a few days before this tragedy occurred, been begging to get him help. But because the insurance ran out and he was continually discharged. And today there are people who who are on death row, who are facing execution, who would not have committed the crime but for their illness. And so we still have an anomaly in our law that allows people who could not possibly be affected by the possibility of an execution because of their illness who are facing death. We still have a system where people don't have adequate um, mental health services. So I say that it's not over, but we also have to look at the things that can, can help us prevent these strategies. And that means investing in mental health services and trauma services, investing in education and housing and, and all the things that we know that keep us safer. So the good news is there are great people doing this work. Um, there's plenty of work to do. And I do think at the end of the day, we will see the end of the death penalty. Great. Thank you so much, Diane Rustierney, who has been with me today talking about the death penalty for brief encounters for the DC bar. I wish you the very best as you end your time as the Dryden Chair of Human Rights at Georgetown University. Thank you for listening. <laughs>